This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. I can't believe I'm saying this. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line by the one and only Jennifer Aniston. Why did Jennifer Aniston start a hair care company? Because she was tired of choosing between hair products that work and hair products that are actually good for us. But thanks to Lola V, we never have to choose again. No silicones, no sulfates, parabens, or gluten. And of course, it's cruelty-free and vegan. The glossing detangler and perfect conditioner are my personal favorites. Not only do they repair the look of damaged hair, but they also shield it from future harm. The first step to unlocking confidence in your dating life and your daily life is feeling confident about your hair. So unlock Jennifer Aniston approved hair at lolav.com. And as listeners of Seeing Other People, you're getting an exclusive 15% off off of your entire order when you use code Seeing Other People at checkout. That's 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com with promo code Seeing Other People. Please note you can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After your purchase, they will ask you where you heard about them. Please, please, please support Seeing Other People and let them know that I sent you. Hey guys, it's Alana and welcome back to another episode of Seeing Other People. Together, we're navigating modern dating alongside experts and real life daters who are sharing their stories. Don't have a date for tonight? No problem. Come learn, laugh, and maybe even cry along with us as we navigate the dating scene together. You guys, I am so excited for today's episode, for today's guest, Julie Minano. I have looked up to you for so long. I followed you on Instagram for years, and I have learned so much from you, and I'm just so excited that the Seeing Other People family gets to learn from you today. So thank you so much for being here. You're so very welcome. And congratulations on your book, Secure thank Love, you. out now. <laughs> Jesus, Barkley. There's Barkley. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. We did a like a $70 Petco haul yesterday. Barkley is getting the oh, nice. okay, rawhide bones that are meant for big dogs. Here you go. <laughs> that should keep you busy until next week. Good luck with that. Um, Have you ever heard of a a Fenimer pad? This is totally off topic. Oh, my God. Tell me. It's this pad, and it has all these little tiny pockets, like seriously, like 100, and you put little treats in each little pocket, and it takes them about like 30 minutes to get all the treats out. Okay, well, I'm yeah. going to go to Amazon and buy that. Yeah. And everybody else needs to go and buy Secure Love right yes. now. <laughs> uh, but seriously, this book is incredible. And I'm so excited that everyone gets to learn so much from you. You are a licensed marriage and family therapist. You yes. are a licensed clinical professional counselor and a yes. relationship coach. Yes. Why relationships? Why attachment theory? How did we get here? Well, first of all, I discovered attachment theory very early in my education um, to be to get my master's. Uh, And it just, you know, we weren't being taught that in grad school at the time, but I kind of needed to get to like, what's the bottom of all of this, right? I needed to make sense of it all. And that attachment theory is really kind of the bottom of the barrel um, when we're not talking about kind of organically based mental illness, you know. Um, even though attachment ties into that because insecure attachment creates a level of stress in the body that then can contribute to one developing a mental illness. So to me, it just felt like this was it, right? And um, so that's where I just immediately took myself down that road, learn everything I can about it, start using it. Uh, I did not want to work with couples. I had no interest in that. Uh, oddly, because I have a, you know, license, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, The reason for that is because in California, that's like the king license, you know, regardless of if you work with um, individual or couples. And I was in California at the time. So I kind of resented the the title of my license uh, because I was like, this is not what I'm interested in. And then I had to see some couples when I was getting my license uh, because to have the, you know, the hours to get the license, you have to see different populations. And I saw the first couple and I was like, wow, you know, this is I'd seen a couple in grad school, but I thought this is really, really interesting. You know, first of all, it's really challenging and I love challenge. And working with couples just really keeps you on your toes because you're, you're not only working with two different people, but you're also working with their relationship with each other. So it's kind of like three different beings in the room. And I thought this, this could be interesting. I need to know what I'm doing. 
I'm the type of person that always needs to know what I'm doing. So I just immediately flew out to Montana where I now live for the first training that was available in the country. And this type of work I do, which is called emotionally focused therapy for couples fell in love. I have not taken on an individual as a new client since that day. Wow. Uh, I just like dove in and here's the two main reasons. One, I was developing bonds with the individuals I was working with um, that they weren't because I was, you know, when therapists are able to create a very emotionally supportive environment, that is not the therapy in and of itself, but that's what creates the environment where you can have the trust and safety to actually do the work and model to them, you know, what these healthier relationships look like. Right. They were going home without that. You know, they were mm -hmm. going home with partners who weren't really learning the same things, weren't on the same page. And that was that always felt really incomplete to me. I, I don't like this idea uh, that people the only place people really feel heard, understood, validated, supported is with their therapist. And I think a lot of people really kind of fall into that category. Um, and then the second reason was. Um, you know, just having having them leave with each other and um, have this growth together, you know, and it didn't it just felt like a more complete way of working. I was not just impacting one person. Now I'm impacting the system. That means their relationship with each other, their relationship with their kids. I mean, once you learn to do relationships, it just starts playing out, you know, in every relationship you have in your life and in different ways. You know, romantic relationships are obviously different than your relationships with your kids or your extended family, but it just snowballs. So I, that's exactly yeah. you took the word out of my mouth. I was going to say yeah. that it, it snowballs if you have a great relationship that then you go on and have kids and you can model it to them and then yes. they'll be able to carry that in all of their types of relationships and and so on and so forth. And I think that's beautiful. And I can see why you gravitated towards that. Yeah. I, I often hear from listeners when they get into relationships, like obviously the people listening to this podcast are doing the work. They're, they're learning. They're putting themselves out there. They're open to trying different things and learning different communication styles and learning about themselves. And I see this divide where people will get into a relationship and they've done the work, but their partner mm -hmm. hasn't. Mm -hmm. And they don't know what to do. They don't mm -hmm. want to force their partner to go into therapy. Mm -hmm. They don't want to, you know, I don't want to use the word punish, but they don't want to like make their partner feel bad for not having mm -hmm. done the work. But I think it's a weird situation when one person has done the work and the other person don't even know, doesn't even know what the work is. It's, it's very true. And it's an unfortunate problem. Um, I think that there are definitely ways to work with that, that I've seen be pretty effective. Um, first of all, one, you know, we have this, you know, attachment theory, this anxious partner, avoidant partner kind of dynamic that is extremely common. Right. And so it's usually, you know, both are kind of blocked as far as getting help. One is the, the avoidant partner is blocked because they're tip, typically not super open to getting help because of the shame that they carry. And for them, help has all these meanings that they don't want to go anywhere near right? It means I'm weak. It means that we're at the end of our relationship if we need help. It means that I'm going to go into this environment and get more blame, more blame that I've already had, you know, put on me. The anxious partner is also blocked because they have this kind of real blame stance, right? Where they really have this idea that the avoidant partner is really in the wrong. And there's really good reasons for that. And so they both kind of play out these blocks, um, and so if, you know, if you get into a relationship and you start doing the work and sometimes people think they're doing the work and they're really not right. They're really, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. And I actually address this in the book. But when you really start creating those environmental shifts, like really, truly, you are by default creating a safer an emotionally safer and more supportive environment. And that's the kind of environment where people thrive and they actually start working on themselves. It, it, it's de-shaming. Shame blocks the, you know, the need to heal or the, sometimes the ability to heal fully. Um, and so 
you know, that, that honestly, I mean, change can't happen without that happening. Is there a guarantee that you can go in as your best self and like create this safe environment and your partner is going to change in the exact way that you want? No, there, there's no guarantee. No relationship has advice has guarantee. My job is how can we increase the odds? How can we make it most likely? And that really, I think it's hard to believe for people that you don't really have to pressure your partner to go to therapy. I mean, sometimes that's necessary, right? You can just start creating more emotional support and safety to get there. And my goal is for everybody to grow. And I really believe that's the best way to get there. Yeah. I love Which that. is what I've addressed in the book. Yeah. What is the difference in a secure relationship versus a healthy relationship. I think we all hear that mm -hmm. term thrown around everywhere, a mm -hmm. healthy relationship, but your work is to bring people to a secure relationship mm -hmm. and secure love. What, mm -hmm. what does secure love look like? You guys know that I struggle with confidence. I'm always my biggest critic, and when I notice something about myself that I don't like, I can't stop fixating on it. I'm working on all of this, but it can be hard. A year ago, I noticed that my hair was thinning, and I was finding more and more strands of hair on the floor every time I would walk around my apartment. When I would look down in the shower, I would freak out at what I saw in the drain. That's when I opened up to my best friend, who happens to be a doctor, and she said two things that changed my life. The first was that she knows so many women our age going through the same thing. The second is that she told told me to try Nutrafol. And so I did. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. A year later and a month before my wedding, and I cannot believe the number of people who have been complimenting how long, strong, and healthy my hair looks. I never imagined that this would happen. And naturally, as a result, my confidence has transformed. I'm no longer self-conscious when it comes to my hair. And honestly, that is a huge, huge, huge personal win for me. And you guys know I'm hilariously bad at sticking with habits and taking something every day or doing something every day. But with Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online with no prescription required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure that you'll never miss a day. You'll see results in three to six months. And trust me, it is worth the wait. You can start so easily by taking their hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering the Seeing Other People family 10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code seeing other people. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code seeing other people. That's Nutrafol.com promo code seeing other people. Brave the uncomfortable. Those are the words engraved on my bracelet that have gotten me through some of the most anxiety-inducing moments over the last few years. And that's why I could not be more excited to encourage you all to get a Presently bracelet of your own with a phrase that resonates with you. Presently is a line of mindfulness bracelets engraved with words inspired by cognitive behavioral therapy. The brand was started by two sisters, Lindsay and Emily, who have obsessive compulsive disorder, aka OCD, and anxiety. They realized that when stuck in an anxiety spiral, it's hard to put into practice the tools that they learned in therapy sessions. They looked and looked for bracelets that could serve as reminders to interrupt that spiral, but they couldn't find anything besides the cheesy good vibes only and no bad days types of messaging. They started presently to bring more authenticity to self-help anxiety management. And as someone who has had a presently bracelet for three years, I mean it when I say it really makes a difference. So whether you need encouragement to make it onto that date that you've been anxious about, a calming mantra to get you through a big day at work, or simply a reminder that you're not alone, presently has your back. Their bracelets are so beautiful and elevated, and they also make amazing gifts. And I know because I have gifted a few over the years, and my friends were so excited to get one and have worn them ever since. There are six phrases to choose from, and if you're indecisive, there's a quiz that you can take to help you choose the perfect reminder for your anxiety. Plus, 5% of each bracelet is donated to your choice of four mental health nonprofits. I wholeheartedly love and support Presently, and I know that your Presently bracelet will bring you as much comfort as mine has brought me. So head to presentlybracelets.com. That's P-R-E-S-E-N-T-L-Y bracelets.com for 10% off your order using code seeing other people. I don't think there is a difference between healthy and secure. It's just a word, mm -hmm. you know, um, because healthy and the, the picture, if you would paint of both are the same, right? It looks like 
we feel emotionally safe with each other. We can bring up concerns. We know we'll be heard, understood, validated, even if we don't really agree on what we're going to do with the outcome. Um, we feel like when we reach to, for our partner, we're going to get some sort of response. You know, we will be responded to. Again, it doesn't necessarily mean you're responded to in the exact way that you want, but you are getting a response, a responsive, engaged person who's willing to have a conversation with you. Um, we feel like we can go to each other for emotional comfort. We're good at conflict. It's not comfortable. Conflict is never comfortable, but we don't resort to blaming, name calling, stonewalling, defensiveness, you know, all those things that just get couples stuck in what I call in the book negative cycles, um, where they're just kind of triggering each other back and forth. Nothing gets resolved. And then they sort of damage, you know, the emotional climate of the relationship as this goes on. Um, and, you know, like I said, we, we, we're connecting with each other. We're sharing vulnerably with each other. We're, we're doing more than just having heady conversations. We're actually talking about feelings and using our vulnerability and our feelings to work through problems, just as we're using, you know, our heads and rationale. And some couples get just stuck in these, we the weeds of all these details and nobody's being vulnerable. So basically that and healthy, you know, are, are really the same thing. Looking at it through an attachment framework helps everything make sense. It makes that word healthy have a lot more meaning when you start looking at it in terms of how is this attachment style playing in to the relationship? How is this attachment style playing in? How, where did all of this come from and how is it playing out for them together in these negative cycles. So you just have a much deeper understanding of relationships when you look through that lens. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to dive deeper into that because we've talked a lot on this podcast about attachment theory and attachment styles, particularly when it comes to dating as opposed mm -hmm. to how they show up in relationships. So mm -hmm. I'd love to learn a little bit more about how they get brought into relationships, if they can change over time and, and where it all comes from. Yeah. So first of all, um, if someone, you know, there's this idea out there that if you have an anxious attachment, you, what you need to do is look for someone with a secure attachment. If you have an avoidant attachment, you need to look for someone with a secure attachment. Unfortunately, it's not quite that simple because if you have these insecure attachments, you don't really know what to look for. And one of the reasons is you don't have, you know, the, the, the relationship starts with your relationship with yourself. So if you're not really aware of how to manage your own feelings, how to stay engaged with your own feelings, how to kind of have emotional support for yourself, self-validation, you know, just self-love, um, being able to kind of regulate your emotions or understand and put words to your emotions. So if you don't have that felt sense within, it's really kind of hard to even know what to feel for. I mean, I can give you a list of what a securely attached, you know, a secure attachment looks like in a person, but that's not really helpful if you don't have this felt sense of intimacy and connection. So I'm here to teach people how to feel for secure attachment. And instead of seeking someone with a secure attachment, seek someone who's good enough and willing to grow with you and who is willing to recognize their blocks and recognize, hey, there's room for growth and healing here. The, the, the one thing that I would say avoid, if anything at all, is someone who's just not willing to look at themselves and grow. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think you know, we all come into relationships with our past traumas, our past experiences that shape us into who we are. But that doesn't mean that someone shouldn't be with somebody else just because they've been through something. We've all been through something. There's nobody Absolutely. who hasn't been through yeah. anything intense, traumatic, heartbreaking, mm -hmm. painful. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that we can't grow. We can't learn. We can't come together with somebody else and work towards being in a supportive so true. So true. Yeah. yeah. I I was surprised to see this stat in your book. I actually, no, surprised is, is, the, is the wrong word. I was not surprised, but I was really bummed to see that 75% of men are secure and 75% of women 
are insecure or anxious. Okay. That's not correct. I hope I don't have- Did I write that down? I wrote that down wrong. Okay. Okay, Yeah. I hope I didn't write that down wrong. So (laughs) 75% of those with avoidant attachment are male. 75% of anxious attachment are female. Okay. Yes. Yes. Why? Do we know why? I mean, I, I think I would explain it as, first of all, I think females are just, you know, because of the hormonal makeup of our bodies where we have to be more nurturing to take care, you know, if you think of cavemen, right? The women are breastfeeding, the women are giving birth, like there's no way around that. And so there is kind of a evolutionary advantage to being more nurturing Um, at least at the beginning of stages of the baby being born. Um, And then men, you know, while the women are kind of stuck sitting there breastfeeding, what do the men have to do? They have to go out and battle the elements, battle, you know, catching animals and food and making shelter. And so they're more rewarded, evolutionarily speaking, for kind of have kind of shutting their emotions down so they can go out and like perform, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so of course that can't explain it all because there's such a variety in, you know, the gender spectrum, right? It can explain a lot of it, but then we have the socialization piece on top of it where men really are socialized to to stuff their emotions away, um, not just in moments when they need to do that, but in all the moments. And women are socialized, you know, to be more nurturing and sensitive. So I think it's just a combination of nature and nurture. Yeah. It's and there's tough. always exceptions to that because 25% is not a small number, right? Yeah. 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 It, it's tough because I feel like of the people that I know, whether they be listeners or friends, family, like I do see that reflected so much where mm-hmm. all of the women in my life are so anxiously attached mm-hmm. in their dating lives, in their careers, with their friendships, like every aspect of their lives. And the men are just like, eh. Yeah. I'm like, damn. Like yeah. if only we could like be go into each other's shoes and, and try them on for a day just to understand sure. better what it's like. I think we'd all be yeah. so much better off. But yeah, someday. and that's kind of what I'm hoping for, you know, in the book. I mean, I, I don't divide it between male and female, but I do divide it between anxious and avoidant and um, yeah. you know, since most but but it, you know, just to validate the people out there that there really are a good, you know, chunk of people who don't fit into the gender norms as far as that that separation and you know, that I see it all the time. I mean, 20 like I said, 25% isn't a small number, so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, you brought up the negative cycle. Mm -hmm. And I loved learning about this in the book. Can you share more of what that is and how Mm -hmm. we can navigate around it individually and with our partner? Yeah. So, you know, I'm just going to jump into it anywhere. It can start, you know, with any trigger, like the first kind of partner in a moment that's triggered. That's where it, you know, I always narrow things down to a moment because, Sometimes we want to work, you know, sometimes we want to say, well, how do we work on our relationship in these bi- this big, vague sense? Um, but really, we're working on a series of moments. And typically, those moments, whatever the trigger is, whatever gets them there, is going to have a very consistent pattern of how they manage those triggers. And so if, if we start working with the moment and working with how the pattern shows up in a moment, it makes it much more just practical and, and, you know, easier to work with the relationship as it occurs. And so um, in a moment, let's say one partner doesn't do something that they say they're going to do. And, and that's based on maybe some resentment they're carrying, or maybe they're not being assertive and saying, hey, this isn't something I really want to do. So they just kind of don't do what they say they're going to do. Then partner B gets really triggered by that because they're saying to themselves, hey, wait a minute, am I being cared for here? Do my needs matter in this relationship, right? These are all attachment needs to know you're cared for, to know your needs matter. So then they get triggered and then they don't know what to do with this trigger because they never learned in their family growing up. So what do they do? They go into protest, blame. How could you not be there for me? You don't even care about my needs. Okay, so now partner A is feeling attacked, misunderstood, And they're saying, I do all these things to get it right for you. And I screw up one time and now all of a sudden I'm the bad guy. And that feels really bad because what makes me tick is feeling successful with you and in the relationship. 
And so they, what do they do? They don't know what to do with that. They don't know how to be vulnerable. So now they start getting defensive or, you know, and, and arguing details. Let me give you all these facts. We went on a walk together two weeks ago. Of course, I want to spend time with you. Okay. Then partner A is now feeling invalidated. Mm-hmm. I think I may have gotten off track here on A and B, but um, <laughs> we, yes, yeah. Okay, but partner B, I think, starts now feeling invalidated for the cons- the real concern that they have that they're hearing one thing and their partner's doing another, and they're over here not feeling now feeling even more uncared about. Now they get even more escalated, more protest. Partner A is going well. Defending myself didn't work. Now I'm just overwhelmed. I don't even know what to do. So I'm just going to shut down and hope this doesn't get worse. And then partner B now feels abandoned, you know, and alone and partner. And, and they don't they don't see these deeper things that are happening. They just don't see it. It happens. These triggers take place in one thirtieth of a second. And there's about six different layers, somatic bodily experience, meaning making, um, tapping into the you know negative views of self. Um, vulnerable emotions, protective feelings, all of this stuff is happening and nobody knows it. So I'm in the book, I'm kind of just trying to dissect this, like break it apart, help you understand. And it's easier to come together and work as a team when you're able to kind of communicate more from those deeper places and not to invalidate your anger and not to just leave it at that and not like actually try to solve the problem. But I need couples to really stay emotionally safe and connected with each other. And when you can get down into this deeper stuff, it's just infinitely easier. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. When I first started seeing other people, some of my closest friends and family could not believe it. Not because they didn't think I was capable of being a podcast host, but because I usually can't get through a sentence without sniffling. And during allergy season, forget about it. My seasonal allergies are debilitating, and my sinus congestion and pressure has always left me feeling so sick. But luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Claritin D has truly transformed my life. Not only can I breathe better and sleep better since taking Claritin D, but I also can get through the day so much smoother. I used to have to cancel plans because of how bad my allergies were. I'd go through a tissue box a week, sometimes more, and my eyes were always watery. But Claritin D's fast symptom relief starts working on allergies with nasal congestion in as little as 30 minutes, and it tackles nasal congestion caused by allergies or a cold and also relieves sinus congestion and pressure due to allergies. It's truly the greatest thing I've ever come across and I am so grateful that I found it and started using it. Are you ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Raise your hand if you have dating anxiety. All right. All right. I know that everyone has their hands up and I get it. I had debilitating anxiety when I was single. And even when I first started dating Jake, I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I know that is not a good way to feel. And that is not a fun way to date. And I get it. It can be hard to find anxiety relief tactic that works for you. That's why I'm so excited to introduce you to a new one that has helped me dramatically with my wedding and work stress and anxiety over the last few months. And trust me, there's been a lot of it. Sunset Lake CBD is an amazing company that not only has helped me feel so much better, but they also have a really cool history and mission. Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. As farmers, they believe in providing only top-shelf CBD and hemp products at fair prices. So they cut out the middlemen and they ship their CBD straight from their farm to your door, which means that their CBD is affordable and trusted because CBD and anxiety relief can help everyone and they want it to be accessible to anyone. Trust me when I say that when I'm stressed or anxious, my sleep is the first thing to go. But despite everything I have going on right now, I've been taking a sleep gummy before bed 
bed and my sleep scores on my aura ring have been through the roof. Plus, I'm finding myself relaxing more at night and being able to turn off my work brain and my anxiety with the help of their CBD gummy bears and reishi infused chews. Whether you want to sleep better, relax better, focus better, recover better, or anything in between, Sunset Lake CBD has something for everyone. So check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use code SOP for 20% off your order. That's code SOP for 20% off farmer-owned, Vermont-grown Sunset Lake CBD. You guys are in for a treat because support for today's episode comes from the best of the best, Jenny Kane. And yes, there is a discount, so keep on listening. You know that feeling when you get a new sweater and it instantly becomes basically another layer of your skin? Like you wear it everywhere for everything all the time. Okay, well, Jenny Kane has become my literal uniform. And if you don't know Jenny Kane, I'm pretty much about to change your life because Jenny Kane's clothes did that to mine. Jenny Kane is a California brand with luxurious staples that will transform your closet. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. They have the coziest cashmere sweaters and iconic accessories that will elevate your everyday basics. I don't know if I wear my cashmere fisherman hoodie or my cropped cashmere cocoon cardigan more. All I know is that I cannot live without either of them. Whether it's a cozy night in with the girls, a dinner date with Jake, or catching a flight to Florida to see my parents, these sweaters are perfect for every single occasion. And I couldn't be happier when I'm wearing them because I'm so comfy. And you guys know me. I always choose comfort over how something looks. But with Jenny Kane, I don't have to choose because I get comfort and I get style. All right. So we have the discount code coming for you. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Seeing other people listeners get 15% off their first order when you use code SOP at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com. Promo code SOP. S-O-P. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Yeah, it is really crazy to think how something so small, like it could be something so little that sets off so many other things. And it's it's not about the laundry not being folded. It's not about the keys being put in the wrong place or you can't find it. It's about so much more. And I think that's why it's so important to know yourself And Mm -hmm. to know like, oh, hey, this thing is upsetting me. Maybe I'll like take a breath or like, I know they've had a busy day. I'm not going to pick this fight right now. I can let it slide. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes we, you know, especially people who have more secure attachments with each other, they're less likely to feel threatened. They're less likely to make these scary meanings Instead of my partner didn't do the laundry because they never respond to me and they don't care about me and I feel powerless. And if it's like this forever, it's going to be horrible and devastating. They're able to say, okay, you know, they didn't do the laundry. They're busy. They're distracted. We can have a conversation about this in a healthy way, you know, that's not going to tear each other apart. And sometimes they choose to let it go. They, they just feel confident and safe enough that we'll get back on track. Mm-hmm. What makes it so that somebody like, for example, I've been in relationships in the past where I felt incredibly insecure. And now Mm -hmm. with my fiance, Jake, from the start, I've felt very comfortable, very secure, very like I know where I stand. I'm not worried Mm -hmm. about him not spending time with me, even when he is really busy with work. Whereas in the past, that would have been a huge trigger for me. So why is it that your attachment or your emotional response can change from one partner to the next? Well, for one, we have, let let me say there's three layers there, right? So for one, we have, when you have a better relationship with yourself, you have a better ability to communicate what's going on with you. And that just creates more health to begin with. You have a better ability to kind of separate what right now, this, this trigger I'm having in this moment, what about it is, really related to what's going on right now in the present? And what if it's some of my past kind of trauma that's showing up, that's making me feel, you know, maybe adding this layer of pain that's not really about this moment. So you can start to kind of decipher yourself and make better decisions about what you're going to do with your feelings and how you're going to communicate that. That then contributes to a safer relationship. And, you know, then your partner is more likely to respond more positively to you. Um, the second thing is, is as you grow as a person, you start having more of an idea of what a felt sense is of safety. You know, we kind of attract and are attracted to our own level of emotional growth for the most part. Um, and so you, you start being understanding more about what you're really looking for. Right. 
So you're more likely to get into healthier relationships from the get-go. And then the third thing is when you're with a partner who also knows how to do these things and can show up more safely and is willing to work with you. And, you know, then that creates more safety and more safety in the relationship brings out the best of everybody because nobody's as scared. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. And you're right. It definitely is all three of those yes. piled on top of each other working together. It's absolutely. Yeah. You talked about in the book, the idea of self-regulation versus co-regulation. Mm -hmm. What are the differences in these tools? What do they look like? And when should each of them be used? Well, so, you know, in a given moment when a couple's in distress and they're, they're, you know, in a bad place with each other, they're starting to feel unsafe or they're starting to go into a negative cycle. The, the best and most effective, statistically speaking, the most effective way for someone to feel more emotionally settled is co-regulation. That means help from another person. It doesn't mean the other person's doing it for them, but the other person is there as a comforting presence. I have heard the statistic. I have yet to be able to find it on my own, but I've heard it in trainings I've gone to multiple times that co-regulation is 20 times more effective in helping someone feel safer in their body than self-regulation. Now, with that said, we can't get by without self-regulation. We don't always have someone there to help co-regulate us. The other person might be too triggered to show up for us. Um, and who's going to be the co-regulator if nobody in the relationships knows how to self-regulate? So we really do need two people to come together who know how on their own to get their nervous systems in this place that I call balance of head and heart. We're not so emotionally overwhelmed that we can't think straight, but we're not completely shut off and emotionally disengaged. So we're able to listen to the different parts of our experience. We're able to listen to what our thoughts are saying. We're able to listen to what our emotions are saying. Um, and then from that place, one or both partners can use where they've found in their own body or where they already started with in that interaction to help the other one. Now that that's going to look self-regulation. Let me go back a bit. Looks like maybe breathing, maybe stopping to ground yourself, maybe some meditation, maybe journaling, maybe just tapping into some mindfulness of your you know, what's going on in your body. Okay, right now, this is one of those moments I can feel my chest kind of tightening. Let me just sit with that. Let that energy kind of go through. There, there are so many ways to self-regulate um, more than I could ever list right now. But the idea is anything that sort of works for you to help you get more grounded into reality. Um, and that's a great thing that there are so many ways. Yeah, there are, you know, there really are. And I think people just need to like, figure out what works, practice different things. Um, and then when each partner can kind of find themselves in that spot, maybe not both at the same time, then they can use that energy to reach to their partner and talk to their partner's nervous system in a way that's like, okay, I'm right here. You know, nervous systems that are escalated, they want to hear slow, soft, and simple. They don't want details. They don't want facts. They want holding. They want soothing words. They want comfort. And when couples can A, when each partner can A, learn to get themselves into a spot where they have the capacity to do that and B, learn what those words look like and the behaviors of self-regulation look like. It's not, why can't you just calm down? Or why can't you look at the bright side, right? It's, I know this is so hard. I know we're in a bad spot, but I'm right here. Let's just kind of sit with each other and see if we can just kind of regulate together to get through this. I'm curious what you think about this phrase. It's come up recently in previous episodes. Don't go to bed angry. Should people be going to bed angry or should they not go to bed angry? You know, I don't like, I don't like a, um, just rigid advice like that because I yeah. think different situations call for different solutions. I mean, if, if someone's not processed their anger and they don't really understand it and they're not ready to talk about it, they're not regulated, you know, people have lives the next day and need to, you know, so I think there's, there's an argument to be made for sometimes we do have to hold that anger 
and work on it at a different time when we're more resourced to do that. Um, and then sometimes it makes sense to not do that. Sometimes it makes sense to, you know, try to try to get it resolved, try to meet each other, try to get back to connection before going to bed. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I because I've always heard the phrase don't go to bed angry. And I had a therapist on recently and she said her piece of advice was to go to bed angry mm -hmm. because you might you could pro given giving time, you can process it. You can think differently about it. You yeah. might feel way different about it in the morning after you've calmed down. And I was like, wow, it's so, I agree. I don't like rigid advice or statements of like, this is the way you should or should not do something. But I just thought it was really interesting to hear that when my whole life I've heard, don't go to bed angry. Yeah. 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 I think that's, that's the thing. It's like, if you force yourself to make up you're, you might be leaving a lot undone. You might be overriding some stuff. You might be stuffing your feelings, you know, and then what's going to happen? That anger's not really gone. It's just yeah. stuffed away for a bit and it's going to come out like a monster later. So yeah, exactly. but then sometimes it makes sense to try to talk it through. Yeah. Sometimes you, you feel like you, you need to talk it through in that moment. Like yeah. the, the waiting might be like so scary of a thought yeah. to not express how you're feeling to not hear what your partner's feeling. Yeah, exactly. I, I completely agree. Exactly. And I think it's it's a real, actually a sign of a lot of emotional maturity if you can go to bed angry, if you can yeah. kind of regulate enough to go, okay, I'm really mad, but I have some hope that we'll get through this and it's not going to keep you up all night. That's not something you can force either. You kind of have to grow into that. Yeah. Yeah. It takes... Yeah learning and, and time and trial mm -hmm. and error for sure. This idea of like working on a relationship, whether it be the two partners together saying like, Hey, we need to work on this relationship or let's go to couples therapy or one partner coming to the other and saying, Hey, I think we need to work on our relationship. How can couples together or one person when bringing it to someone else how can we look at this in a positive light rather than like our relationship needs help? Like we're failing. We need an expert to come and fix us. Like I think every couple could benefit from couples therapy and learning how to communicate better. But I know not everyone thinks that. And so I guess my question is how can people look at either couples therapy or working on the relationship as a good thing? I mean, I think that just understanding, hey, there are always improvements. There's always, you know, what's the good that can come out of it? Feeling more connected, fighting less, you know, maybe we don't fight all the time, but maybe we get stuck in some spots where we're not talking to each other for a day. Let's figure out how to not have to not talk to each other for a day. Let's, you know, um, better modeling communication skills to our children. Um, are we walking around feeling kind of some stress sometimes? And maybe there's a lot of value in not having to carry around as much stress. So I think it's just focusing on the growth and the value and why not feel better in the world? Yeah. Why not feel better in your relationship? It, there's, you know, there's not really, if, if you try it and you're not getting anywhere or you're feeling worse and which can happen in some types of couples therapy. I mean, you know, couples therapy is one of those arenas where you really need a very competent therapist because it can actually make things worse if that space just becomes more reason to, to fight, you know, yeah. if, the, if the therapist can't really contain that energy. How does it work with, you know, having conversations in therapy and then then the couple leaves therapy? Mm -hmm. Are they supposed to continue these conversations when they go home or are they supposed to wait until the next session? What does that look like? Like, are there mm -hmm. homework assignments? You know, it really depends on the type of work the therapist does. I, I do a very specific type of work where my goal, you know, my overriding goal in each session with the understanding that this isn't going to happen all the time, every time, but let's say, you know, 90% of the time, my goal is to create a new experience in the session for them. We take it, we take a situation that they either bring to me, like here's this interaction that we had, or I catch it happening in the room and I help them. I, you know, I work with one partner at a time 
to really dive in and really get what's happening, really get down to that deeper stuff underneath the surface. And then I help them communicate about that in a way that's very structured at first. I mean, there are couples at first, I'm like, talk to me, talk to me, don't try to talk to each other because you don't know how to yet. Um, But over time they learn. And so when we can kind of do this and see each other and have empathy for each other and feel a felt sense of bonding and connection over, you know, vulnerability, they leave feeling closer to each other. And what I see happen is that closeness at the beginning of the work, you know, might last for a day or two. And then by the end of the work, they're having weeks of closeness. It just keeps stretching. And um, so, you know, um, I'm also kind of at the same time, you know, it's all kind of happening at once, um, helping them learn to not go into negative cycles. And so I, there are certain topics that couples just aren't ready to talk about on their own without going into a negative cycle. And sometimes we have to table those topics um, until they're ready to communicate outside of a negative cycle. Because if you communicate about a topic in the negative cycle, you're just going to not get anywhere and potentially make it worse. So I don't ignore, let's say there was this, you know, like a major attachment wound, like an affair or a lie. I don't ignore that by any stretch, but I do say we can't have a healing conversation around that until we can talk about who's going to take the kids to school out of a negative cycle. We get that those skills built up. And then by the time we get to that conversation, we've also built up all this intimacy and bonding and connectedness and all the good stuff that it just makes it infinitely easier to address these bigger topics. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's really, really smart. And I I can see how having those other conversations that might be more pressing or more just logistics and Mm -hmm. like day to day that could lead to more openness and comfort in having those harder conversations. Absolutely. Yep. I have a few listener questions. One of them kind of relates. Um, This one says, how much vulnerability is healthy when talking about relationship or family baggage in a new relationship? And how much openness about your attachment style and past relationship challenges is too much? I want to leave with, lead with honesty, but this is hard for me. My last relationship really fucked me up. This is also the first time I've dated in a while, and I honestly don't know if I'm ready. I don't want a trauma bond. I don't want to come off as too much or unstable or fragile. Well, this person has a really good idea of you know what they're looking for, and I appreciate that um, and makes sense to me. It is a very difficult you know, in in today's day and age, it's like we're getting these messages. We need to be open. We need to be willing to work on ourselves and willing to work with each other. But then at the same time, there is such a thing as going too far too soon, right? And so the way that I like to explain it, and this is, you know, also statistically accurate um, as far as doing studies on how securely attached people date versus insecurely attached people. Um, so one is before you go into all of that, we, we need to just know how you feel together. How does it feel? Are you, are you able to enjoy each other's company? Are you able to talk about the dinner? Are you able to laugh? Are you able to talk about lighter things and kind of just have, you know, enjoy each other's company, right? Once that's established, we, we start these deepening, and, and that doesn't mean we can't talk about more serious things at the very beginning, but we want to keep it, you know, light, right? Light, kind of light and polite when you're getting to know someone. Um, and then we start to go into self-disclosure, right? And what we want it to be is reciprocal. So first of all, we, well, we want it to be two things, reciprocal and relatively safe, meaning we take little risks to tell little bits of ourselves, things that feel vulnerable and like, you know, potentially the other person might judge or reject that because some people do, right? Right. And so we want to kind of test it out. How do they handle this bit of information? And do they reciprocate with their own little bits of information? And then as we start to develop trust, hey, this person's handling what I'm saying. They're understanding where I'm coming from. I'm not feeling judged or shamed. Then we can like divulge a little more. And then they divulge a little more. And over time, you just start to get to know each other a little better. So it's really about titrating little bits at a time, seeing how it feels, seeing how they react. And are they giving back? Yeah. It's like testing the waters, dipping your toes and and making sure, okay, this feels good. I can proceed to the next step and go a little deeper and go a little deeper until I feel like 
yeah, this is safe. I can go there. Yeah. And it, I mean, there's some, there's some parallel to sex there for some people who, you know, I know some people are okay with one night stands and I'm not judging that, but, but, you know, a lot of people prefer to us for a sexual relationship to develop over time. And it's kind of similar. First you hold hands and you kiss and, you know, you just kind of like slowly build up to the full vulnerability of everything. Yeah. It's like the emotional. Is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Wow, someone should really, I'm, I'm picturing it. Someone's got to yeah. make that. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. I love that. Okay. Another one, how to create secure attachment when things like chronic health and fertility come up? Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's not so much the problems, you know, those are, those are big ones, right? Those are going to tax any couple. Um, but most couples have something, whether it's bigger stuff or smaller stuff. I mean, what I like to say is, Hey, if you're in you know, the emergency room with a broken ankle or a sprained ankle, you're in pain. The person next to you has a broken toe. The person next to you is got a broken, you know, they need a full body cast. Like it doesn't really matter. Your ankle still hurts, right? So it's not so much what's the problem. It's how are we communicating about the problem in a way that helps us not emotionally harm each other and navigate through this together. And, and a lot of times that doesn't happen with one conversation. If um, something comes along like a chronic illness, it's going to shake things up. I mean, that's normal. And we might not know how to, to manage all of this. So it might be trial and error conversations. Um, you know, there's some grief that both partners have to go through because this is grieving some sort of loss, right? If, if the chronic illness comes into the table and now all of a sudden one partner's limited, we have to grieve how things were and we have to kind of get through that to a place of acceptance. And it's a matter of being the most emotionally supportive of each other possible, not letting yourself like be being aware of not going down that road into blaming and shaming and just being really on top of, you know, what can, what can get in our way here. Let's not let that do that to us. Absolutely. I always like to say it's, it's not me versus you. It's us versus the problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. One more here. Okay. As a parent of six, how did you go about raising your children in regard to attachment? Well, I messed up a lot at first. You know, I didn't grow up with a secure attachment, so I had no idea how to duplicate that. I just kind of had this idea that, hey, if you, you know, I stayed home with them. I was like, if I stay home with them, if I make healthy food, if I get them in the right schools, if I dress them the right way, like everything just will magically work out. Well, not Wrong. true. <laughs> yeah. So my older two got the worst of me, unfortunately. Um, the third, by the third, I started discovering attachment parenting, which is a bit different from attachment theory, but I just, you know, with third, fourth, fifth, six, God, I have a lot of kids. Um, I was, got really into sling wearing, co-sleeping that really worked for me. You know, I, I don't think that you have to do that stuff to develop a secure attachment, but for me, that just really worked with the bond and the emotional support. And then as I continued to grow and learn, I just learned to become more and more emotionally supportive. My older two are doing great. There's always time to give them what they need um, and develop a, a, a stronger relationship with them. And from that relationship, they become securely attached no matter how old they are. I mean, it, it can be harder if you have some stuff built up. Um, but I think it's, you know, I'm really, really right now, kind of what's really sealed the deal for me is Gaber Mate's work with parenting. I just, um, I think he's just, it, it, it like took me to a next, the next level of, of supportive. And um, so now that I've been doing that, it feels like, wow, I've really got this down. Um, because I think what what's happening right now is we're over parenting and under supporting. We're over micromanaging, over trying to get them to achieve and, you know, just keep their, even keep their room clean and all of these things that are creating a lot of tense talks in the house, you know, expectations. It's like, I've let go of a lot of that. And as I've let go of that stuff and I've focused far more on emotional support, helping talk them through their problems, I've only seen them become more achieving in life. 
Yeah. Okay. I lied. That wasn't a listener question. I actually wrote that one. I don't know why I said it was a listener question, but that is so fascinating. I read um, Gaber Mate. Gaber Mate. Okay. The, the Scattered Mind just changed. It, it, that That is such a good book. It's It's specifically for ADD. And I wish that he could just create a parenting book and that's yeah. not ADD focused because I don't want, you know, people could might be turned off like, oh, I don't have ADD. My kids don't have, right. it's just, it's, it's a, it's fabulous. I think there's so much of that world about parenting and, and attachment and, and just raising your children that I obviously like, I'm, I haven't done that yet, but yeah. I'm now at an age where like my, by the time this episode comes out, my like best, best friend will have given birth and will become a mom. And I, it's exciting. Like I'm getting closer to that every day. And so I feel like there's so much to learn and so much that I'm, I'm just so curious about. So thank you. And I'm definitely going to read his book. If I wish that somebody would have just told me at the beginning, just follow your instincts, you know, just follow your instincts. Cause you, cause it's all there in your body. Your body knows what to do. It's just, we get so scared, you know? Yeah. Well, speaking of wise advice, my last question for you and my favorite question to ask is what is the best piece of dating or relationship advice you have ever received or have to give? Uh, you know, it's it's learn how to be emotionally supportive. That is it. Figure it out. Learn how to be emotionally validating. Learn how to comfort Um everything stems from that. It, you know, I like to do analogies to our physical selves. It's like proper nutrition. If you don't have proper nutrition, you're going to see a cascade of problems, right? And it's the same with emotional support. And it's just nothing works. The most, you know, setting, learning how to set boundaries, learning how to use I statements. I mean, all of these things are part of a generally emotionally healthy environment. But I mean, just the art of emotional validation in and of itself is just magical. I mean, it really is just magical, you know, as long as it's coming from a place of empathic authenticity and your words are matching your felt experience, which is all, you know, it's a, it's a work in progress. In fact, my next, um, my next Instagram post I'm working on is the four stages of relationship growth. And it, it, you know, you don't go into this necessarily putting these skills into place from your heart because they're not in your heart yet. Like you kind of, you know what I mean? It's like, you have to, you have to just start doing it from somewhere, even if you, you know, don't really, it hasn't become part of who you are just yet. So that's just a normal part, you know, of the growth process. Yeah. I love that. Well, Julie, thank you so, so much for being here. Where can everybody find you? Where can everybody buy the book and continue to learn so much more from you? Okay, let me give you the list. My my assistant gets so mad at me if I don't get everything on the list. You're right. gonna do great. I believe okay. in you. <laughs> okay, so the 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 hub, the Julie Monano hub, is my Instagram at the Secure Relationship. Look for the blue check. There's lots of imposter accounts. Um, Two, I have a website, thesecurerelationship.com. That's going to have links to the book. That has links to my coaching practice where you can, I have a, you know, a whole staff of therapists who see people all over the world for relationship coaching. They're all licensed therapists, but we do coaching, you know, for out of state people. Um, and, and the differences is we don't, with coaching, we don't treat a diagnosable condition. We're just really helping people have better relationships. Um Julie Monano therapy. I mean, I'm sorry, juliemonano.com is my kind of personal website. So those three places really, and, and the book is everywhere. I mean, I just got, I mean, just put on my story, the Dutch version. Um, it, no matter where you are in the world, you're going to find the book on your Amazon or wherever else. Yeah, there it is. I just Amazing. got the, the actual book in the mail and like, oh my God. it was really what, exciting. Yeah. That must be, I can't imagine that feeling of opening it and like holding it and just it, seeing it. It was Incredible. pretty, pretty, pretty powerful. Oh, well, you know. I, congratulations. I have no doubt it's going to make a huge difference on so many people all over the world. So I hope you feel so good about it every day. 
Yes. Uh, yes. That's what I'm hoping for. So amazing. Well, everyone, every, all of that is linked in the show notes. Seriously, get this book, get this book for someone you love, get this book for your best friend, for your cousin, for your coworker, everyone can learn something from it. And Julie, thank yeah. you again. This has been such a pleasure. You're so welcome. It, it, this has been great. Great. Thanks for listening, daters. I hope today's episode made you feel just a little bit less alone out there, no matter what your status might be. Give your finger a break from swiping and hit that follow and review button instead. And if you have any burning questions or want to share your own dating horror stories, reach out to seeingotherpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. And in the meantime, keep on seeing other people. Mads, I am obsessed with our brand pillars. You mean vagina sweat, good branding, and being Jewish-blooded queens, Scout? Uh, sure, but not quite. I love that OKSIS podcast and our sisterhood is made up of women who are down for main character energy only, who take care of their mental health, and who are standing in their personal power as entrepreneurs. Oh, yeah. That too, Scout. That too. We should probably introduce ourselves. Hello, everyone. I am Mads. And I am Scout. And we are sisters IRL. Join us on OKSIS Podcast every Monday for some sisterly banter, nourishing mental health, a whole lot of silliness, and inspiring interviews from the raddest female guests in the game. We promise it'll be a good time. As long as you don't get too loud, Mads. Welcome to the sisterhood!